Welcome to the dark forest Jackie and her pals will never bore us Shameless confessions about our obsessions Will make us laugh and smile So let's explore the dark forest And dark down for a while Hi, I'm Jackie Cation. You are about to listen to the dark forest Let's give you the info about it First of all, you know the websites dorkforest.com, thedorkforest.com, if you like a determiner, jackiecation.com, has everything. All my podcasts, including uh, videos of my stand-up, my stand-up schedule, merchandise you can purchase if you would like, and a lot more info than you possibly even need. Let's do the credits. Mike Rickberg sang and produced and composed that song at the beginning of the show. He sang with his wife, Sarah. It's very beautiful. At the end of the program, he sings his version of the Mexican hat dance. That's Mike Rickberg. Vilmos fixes JackieCation.com. He is uh, the web designer over there. And Patrick Brady fixes the audio. And in this case, there's a video intro. Very exciting. Anyway, those are the websites. If you want to support the show, you're doing it already by listening to it or watching it. And Another way is to tell your friends and family, go on iTunes, do a review. Another way is to just give me money. Yeah. You could go use the donate button. You can make it even monthly if you're okay with making things monthly. You do a PayPal monthly. There's a monthly choice on PayPal. The PayPal is a button on the Jackie Cation or the Dork Forest website, and it goes directly to me. Thank you very much. I will use it wisely or foolishly. Your call as well. Now. My email address, Jackie at JackieCation.com, is where you can contact me if you have any questions or concerns and about the Dork Forest. And I do have a Venmo account. It's Jackie-Cation, oddly enough. Another way to support the show is on DorkForest.com and JackieCation.com. There's an Amazon link. And the Amazon link just takes you to Amazon. You order like normal, and it supports the show because you came from JackieCation or DorkForest.com. Very exciting. Other than that, oh, there are, there is a band camp. You can, if you have listened to all the episodes that are free and you need more content, there are several live episodes that are at thedorkforest.bandcamp.com. And those cost me a couple of bucks, so I charge a couple of bucks. There's also a storytelling album there that you can listen to some stories that I did live. And there are 17 free episodes before the Dork Forest was pre-recorded. So the audio isn't very good, but the guests were super funny and fun and dorky. So if you want to do that, go to thedorkforest.bandcamp.com. Other than that, let's see if there are other things that I should be talking about. Possibly uh, the merch. Yeah, if you want to buy merch. The only other thing I want to talk about is the merch. You can get Dork Forest t-shirts. Uh, and you can get stand-up comedy t-shirts. You can get my albums or my DVD over at JackieCation.com slash merch. There's pins. There's a challenge coin. There's a bunch of new things happening over there. Anyway, a lot of information. I think, I don't think I've missed anything, but who cares? Let's get into the show. Hi, I'm Jackie Cation, and I'm in my living room, and Dominic Ferrantelli is in his living room. And Patrick Indeed, Brady, oh. yeah, and Patrick Brady is audio- uh, managing this from Jafar. He's in his living room, one would imagine. Uh, so, uh, but he's muted himself. And, but I want to talk to Dominic Ferrantelli uh, about Retrotech. 
because we're in the dork forest and Patrick was, he was like, he knows about laser discs and he knows about this thing. And I'm like, well, I don't know anything about any of that. And I lived through it. So what is happening, Dominic? What what do you know about laser discs? Oh, I know a lot. I have, uh, I have only a few hundred movies on laser disc. Um, (laughs) um, and I only have, I don't know, like six players. You have six laser disc disc players. Are well, they, they each have different features. Interesting. All right. Talk to me. First of all, the LaserDisc player came out, what, as the same time as the VHS? When did it come out? I, or the DVD close. player? Okay. So the LaserDisc came out technically in 1978 in a limited uh, like test run in Atlanta and then went worldwide in 1979. But VHS came out in 1971. Oh. So it's it was started earlier than VHS was started as a project, but it took them so long to actually come up with a consumer product that it launched way later. Okay. Wait, so v- wait, VHS was invented in 71? That's when it was launched. That's or, sorry, it- uh, 71 was when... Um, was when they started working on it. 76 was when it launched. Okay, fair enough. Because in 1976, I will have you now, we got a we got a VHS player in my home. My dad got it as a part payment for a siding job, and it had the old-timey remote with a wire. Uh, so, nice. <laughs> yeah, it actually, which was never long enough to get to the, uh, we had to leave it on top of it anyway. Yeah. And I, and he still, I was the remote. Hey, go press play on the on the VHS. And of course, it was a top loader. Mm-hmm. And um, it was all very exciting. But now Laserdisc, I think of as kind of a, the, a, a an ancient DVD player. Am I right? Uh, ish. It okay. is. It, yeah, it was a higher quality optical disc. Uh, that's mostly most of them that were released are uh, the size of a record, right? Twelve inches across. Um, Why? Figured I would, yeah, and then they're always double sided, and um, really, yeah. Why? Yeah, there, there's never anything printed on the top side, like on a DVD or a CD. So how do you know which side one is what and what is side two? Uh, there's um there's an inner label like along the along the inside of it just that like has a label record? of A or B. Yep, just like a record. Just like a re- okay. I have seen they were laser advertised discs? as video yeah. records. Video re- okay. And so, if a laser disc player is, were they front loaders or were they top loaders like a record player? So they started top loaders like a record player. And okay. then uh, when they transitioned away from using helium neon lasers in consumer devices for some reason uh, <laughs> into solid state lasers, that's when they went to a tray loader from the front. Okay. What is the difference between a he- well, helium what? <laughs> helium neon. Thank you. A helium neon um, laser and a solid state laser. Do you have any idea what the difference between those are? Um, so a helium neon laser uses current going through gases in order to generate light. 
and oh. it actually runs at a slightly different wavelength than the solid state lasers that they were using, which was infrared. The uh, the helium neon lasers were like at the cusp of red and infrared. What the hell? This is so they spent. <laughs> they're like, we want like movie quality movies in our own home. And to mm -hmm. do that, we're going to use helium neon lasers to project the images. And did they go on the television or did they go on a wall? Uh, they went to whatever display you had. So okay. at the time, everybody had televisions. By 1975, like 80% of America had color TVs. Oh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, it would just hook right up to your TV. Um, they... Yeah, they were advertising it, that, that which was, I think, part of the problem with why it never really took off, was that they were advertising it as a video record or a way for you to watch movies at home. But that wasn't a thing that existed in the world at it the wasn't. time. And for some reason, the porn industry went VHS, which is why uh, everyone else went VHS. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it, where they lead, it turns out, uh, the creepy porn industry. Or is it creepy? Do I have to say that? Mm -hmm. I don't. Anyway, no. <laughs> and so people can have their lives. So yeah. uh, anyway, but so the laser, so then they went to a solid state laser, which is an ultra, uh, ultraviolet? No. Um, uh, infrared. Infrared. Thank you. An infrared light. And the quality of this, what is the difference between a VHS and a laser disc? Is it? Oh, it's dramatic. Per inch, it's dramatic. It's dramatic. It's um, it's hard to measure resolution of of VHS because it's film being transcoded into a television signal. Okay. So the same tape could be played at different resolutions depending on your player. Oh. <laughs> Whereas laser discs okay. are a fixed resolution that is higher and with higher fidelity than any VHS got. Okay, so it's a, a fixed resolution. Interesting. And you have hundreds of these discs. How long do you know how long they were? Are they still making them? They're probably. No, they stopped. They stopped selling them in the United States in 1999. I think there might have been one or two sold in 2000 uh, new movies. Okay. And they continued until about 2002 in Japan. Okay. Which is so, where the biggest market for them was. From the beginning? Yeah, pretty much from the beginning. Um, within, you know, because it takes a few years for you to try to judge adoption rates. Within about 10 years or so, they estimated that they had 10% market penetration in Japan, but only 2% in the United States and only like 0.8% in Europe. Wow. 0.8%. Okay. Yeah, so, it, was, it did not do well in Europe. Right. And, it, um, and so of the... I don't know. Is do you have actually in in your brain box, uh, sort of how many how many movies were were put on Laserdisc or was um, it just that two percent of whatever movies that were coming out? Kind of. Pretty much every major movie released from, from nineteen sixty something on up to about nineteen ninety six. Oh, God. All and right. And then at 1996, it started faltering. And uh, by, hit, by the time you hit 1999, there were only like three movies released on Laserdisc. Do you have those three movies from 1999? I have, 
I have one of them. Which one is it? The Matrix. Oh, The Matrix came out in 1999? <laughs> yes, it did. Wow, I'm a hundred years old. Anyway, so, because uh, I would have swore it was last year. But um, movies aren't my life. But here's, I mean, the crazy thing is, is so, so the hundreds of laser discs that you have, and this is the first tech that we're even touching on here. Um, is there, have you gone with a theme? Have you gone with classics? Are you just buying them because they exist? What's, why, how do you, how do you pick? Um, kind of all over the place. I'm into a lot of different genres of movies and, um, I don't really have any DVDs or Blu-rays, and most of the movies I watch are older anyway. So if I want to keep a physical copy of it, I get that. I okay. also sometimes will get a movie because there's some special content on LaserDisc that doesn't exist anywhere else. Oh, like DVD extras, but on Laser, but the, but so they had extras on the the DVD the LaserDiscs. Yeah, they had art books. They had uh, commentary tracks. They had. Um, Frequently, there were different cuts released on different formats. So there would be scenes released on Laserdisc that weren't released anywhere else and never made it to any of the more modern cuts. Oh, that's oh, that's amazing. What What is the capacity? Like, could it, I mean, how many megabytes, how many gigs, uh, how big are the, how big a file could be, could be put on that Laserdisc? So the way that Laserdisc stores information is a bit weird. Um, so it's, it's measured in time. So it can store 30 minutes of video per side in CAV format or in CLV format, it can store 60 minutes worth of video. CAV versus CLV, which makes me think that one is better quality than the other. Yeah. CAV is better quality and has, uh, a, a few distinct advantages quality wise, uh, including, individual frame access, which was really big for video files. Oh, that's amazing. Because uh, so, to go frame by frame to some extent? Yeah, you can go frame by frame. You can also put in a frame number on your remote and it will call up that frame on the LaserDisc. Okay. Um, here's uh, two questions digressing from the technology of it, which sure. is, do you have support your local sheriff on LaserDisc by any chance? It is I do a, not. It is a, uh, a not a good movie, but it is an enjoyable <laughs> movie. Um, it is with, and I'm spacing his name, Rockford Files. Remember that guy? Uh, yep. Anyway, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. but it was a cowboy movie that was, uh, I used to see it on television just on, you know, the they would just play it with commercials. And I always thought that it was terrible and it had been uh, cut poorly because of that. It was being aired on television and it turns out. So I bought it on VHS mm -hmm. and then I bought it on DVD to check every time. And it turns out it was just poorly cut. It was just a terrible, uh, the way it was just not well, it was not well directed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then here's the other thing, uh, frame by frame anecdote, which you may or may not care about in the movie L.A. Yeah. Story. Do you have that? By any I do. Chance? You do. OK, then frame by frame, you can go to the scene. Um, I used to have sort of movie viewing parties when I first moved to Los Angeles. And mm -hmm. um, 
a guy told me this, one of my friends told me this, we would all get together and, and have a nice evening where we would watch a film, obviously, right? So um, the the L.A. story in the scene where he's buying those white pants, where Steve Martin is, and he first meets Sarah Jessica Parker, uh-huh. if you go frame by frame, there's a woman in, the, in one of the dressing rooms, you get to see a nipple. Huh. Thanks for playing. There we go. A little fun fact right. for you. Yeah. yeah. Free, free nipple, Dominic. Uh, <laughs> who hasn't who hasn't dreamt of that in one day in their lives? Uh, <laughs> and I don't know why I cared, but I'm, I'm not above a, a nipple. What the heck? Oh, no. She seemed a very fit young woman. A lot of sit-ups. Things were happening. Uh, so... <laughs> what um, are there? Do you do you end up watching them on a regular basis? Like, what are some of your favorites? Um, I do watch some on a on a pretty regular basis. Um, some of my favorites are uh, Terminator Two because that cut is incredible. The one uh, so there were uh, I want to say eight different releases of Terminator Two on Laserdisc. <laughs> really. Um, yeah, so frequently it was released in at least uh, two versions, one for CLV, one for CAV. Then for bigger budget movies, there was usually a third release that was like a special edition, includes extra stuff. Right, version. why wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and then, but then, you know, the well, Laserdisc this- format kept getting updated, so then they'd be like, oh, you know, now we can do Dolby Digital Surround Sound. Let's re-release the movie, but with surround sound. Oh, what one do you which have? Which is what they did with uh, with Jurassic Park, which was the first movie on Laserdisc to uh, the first movie available for homes that has surround sound. Oh my god! And do you have that one? I do. I would actually like to see that movie in on here. Here's, I mean, I haven't seen the original Jurassic Park probably since it came out. I've been on the ride. I get it. It holds up. And then sure. sometimes on cable, you'll be flipping through and you're like, oh, giant raptors. So, um, but uh, is it set up so that, I mean, is it set up so that you could have a theater experience? Is that how you set it up in your in your house or in your apartment? Um, yeah. So I uh, usually set it up. I have a Laserdisc player right beneath my TV mm-hmm. and um a lot of the movies that I have are in uh, letterbox format, and then I'll zoom it to fill my you know modern TV. Yeah. I have it going through a video comb filter and then an upscaler to bring it up to closer to native TV resolution, and then uh, and then crop it out so that you get the full widescreen image. Oh wow! Yeah this this is a this is a valid dorkdom here, my friend. Uh, you <laughs> have really you stuck the landing, uh, and Dominic. The uh, so you have so you have a the laser disc player itself is from let's say the eighties or the nineties. Yeah, this is a mid nineties model. Okay, so it's a later model, so it's relative. It's newer. Mm-hmm. What happens? Do you have extra ones because just in case parts? Do you cannibalize them for other parts or? Have you gone through them? Have they broken? Um, so, yeah, a, a couple have broken, a couple I have for parts. Uh, I also have a Laserdisc player set up in my garage, and uh, that's where I have a bunch of arcade machines and a pinball machine, and uh, I, I've i got a, an old plasma display up in there, and I play, like, random uh, kaiju movies 
from oh, just like background monster movies. Yeah, yeah okay. just background monster movies. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I just uh, just recorded that episode of the Dork Forest about monsters, which is why I recognize the word kaiju. Uh, so, uh, I have to ask you now if you ever saw, um, it's a relatively new film. I don't know if you've seen it because it would probably, it's not available on Anne Hathaway produced film called Colossal. Have you seen that? It's a monster movie. No, I haven't. It's, uh, better than it has any right to be quite honestly. And I understand why she produced it is because she wanted to be in it and probably would not have been cast. So, uh, it's a great movie with literally for me, one of the best and endings of a monster movie, the way they dealt with it was outstanding. So if you get a chance, see Colossal, which is on Hulu. I don't know if you have the streaming services. I do. Uh, I'll check that out. Yeah. And, um, cause the first like 10 or 15 minutes of the movie isn't even a monster movie. It's just a weird, like sort of personal it's about people right as mm-hmm. the best monster movies are I'm, i've yeah. been told right and then uh and then it turns into this weird korean there are monsters but they but who are the real monsters right anyway so uh so if a good monster if, movie should make you think you know yeah what is your favorite monster movie and is there a good monster movie on laserdisc that has good special uh that that, that has uh, extra things on it. Um, I think probably my favorite is Mothra, and I do have the limited edition box set of Mothra that has all like all kinds of extra art books and um, like costume design stuff. It's great. Wow, that yeah, yeah. I mean, I I actually have seen Mothra, uh, and I had forgotten that it makes sense that Mothra could fly, but I had forgotten. And uh, Steve Mandel reminded me uh, <laughs> that he was a moth, even though yes. he was a monster. <laughs> so, uh, so it's in your. In, so you have an arcade setup. Is it a bunch of retro tech as well? Like it, or or is it just PS4? You're playing Spider Man. No, no, I, I don't have any LCDs in the garage at all. Okay. Uh, everything is CRTs except for the one plasma display. Um, and okay. that's a like a very early. But what does the CRT stand for? I forget. Cathode ray it... tube. Okay. <laughs> nice. Uh, okay. So sorry. Go ahead. No, that's all right. Um, the way they work is is bonkers, and we can get into that if you like. Yeah, but please do. Then, uh, uh, so yeah, so a CRT. Uh, Basically, the way that it works is there are three electron guns in the back of that glass tube. And each electron gun fires a row of light uh, approximately somewhere between, depending on the quality of the CRT, somewhere between 400 and 800 lines on the screen to draw the image. Right. And then we see, quote, pixels because there's usually a, a filter right behind the glass that is what's making it actually be pixels. Otherwise it would just appear like uh, just lines. Right. Is this okay, go ahead. uh, And then horizontally it's uh, it is pushing out. uh, I want to say, I can't think of the number exactly offhand, but it's somewhere in the vicinity of 600 columns. 
Okay. And it's updating what image it should be portraying on three guns for each pixel 60 times a second. And, and that, this was all happening that fast in 1972 or three, whenever color got big. Right. Because previously it was just black and white television mm-hmm. and black and white television was not done by cathode ray or it was. That was cathode ray too, but it was just a single gun. And so it was just projecting. It was just image. projecting grayscale basically. Grayscale. So, so it was all black, and then it would shoot out white, and then at different intensities, so it would make different shades of gray. I'm, here's now, and this may be the most simplistic thing that I've ever said in my life, but I don't understand how things, how images are sent over wire. I genuinely, I don't get how a fax machine works. I don't get how a television works because it is it coming through a wire? Is it coming through the antenna? Is it satellites? How is it happening in 1955, for example? Uh, in the 50s, television was entirely over antenna. Okay. Uh, there wasn't home cable yet. Uh, so there would be, you know, your local television station with a broadcast antenna on top, like a like a radio station. And then they would broadcast out their either pre-recorded tapes or uh, some live content like the late show or something. Okay. Or like this, the news, the six o'clock news from right. their place and from it would their somehow... place. And then that would get transmitted over radio, which the idea that we can use fluctuations of energy in the air to transmit data is kind of bonkers. Yes. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> what's bonkers. I don't know how that, how is data? Is it, I don't know how it works. Is it binary? What's happening? Uh, so that wasn't binary. That was an analog stream. And okay, when you get to analog, it gets really complicated really fast. Um, binary is simple because it's either on or off, one or zero. Right. Yeah, you know. And so you're just like, oh yeah, the at this point in the in the wave, there's either a low value or a high value, and that sets one or zero. It's, yeah, that's easy. Um, sort of like how on a CD, that's the way that it works. There, there are pits in the, in the disc and there's a light sensor. And so whenever it's hitting the reflective part, the laser hitting the reflective part, then that's a one. And then when it hits a pit, then the sensor doesn't pick up anything. So that's a zero. Okay. So it's Which just is... like computer punch cards. Yeah. They were do a thing or don't do a thing. That was the whole plan, right? So analog video coming over antennae is something else again. Yes. So that's okay. that's analog, which so instead of there being um are you familiar with the square wave? No. So, <laughs> so No, that's all right. Uh okay. so uh you're familiar with what a sine wave looks like, roughly. Mm. The like the ideal up and down sort yes. of yeah. Okay. So a square wave is that, but boxes. So it's just low, straight line up, high, straight line down, low. Oh, okay. And, and so then, yeah. for digital signal, that's the way it works. So as you have a, a wave of data over the air, within every little tiny part of that, it's either up a bit or down a bit. Okay. And so that either says one or zero, and that's how we transmit digital data over radio. 
okay. roughly. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm hand-waving sure. a lot of this. Please. but Yeah. <laughs> um, but then when you get to analog, it's um, instead of it just being high or low, it's a gradation. So within that big wave of the full radio signal, you then have little gradations that indicate what is being transmitted the whole way. Okay. Yeah. That it's and it's um and and this is just coming over radio waves. This is just a manipulation, as you said, of energy to pass information that then is translated. Is there a scramble box of re a reassembling of this information from from its its takeoff to where it lands? Or is it just the same uh, it- box? accepting it and 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 just re reassembling it pretty much that until we started getting to um like cable services that were trying to lock you out if you weren't paying for certain channels they weren't necessarily scrambled or encrypted or anything okay um but yeah it would be in some format that's able to be transmitted and then uh and then your tv would go okay i've got this you know, the, this bunch of waves, I'm going to turn this into instructions for these electron guns to fire electrons at this glass, and that's going to make an image. That, okay. I I feel like I almost get it. And that means, Dominic, that you have done some vital work here. And because science isn't my strong suit, uh, math isn't my strong suit, but I'm not, a, you know, I have some comprehension. So, I appreciate how you've explained that because I feel better. But I do want to know what games you have in the garage. Um, well, I I have generic cabs that I swap games in and out of. So okay. in the United States, it was uh, it was much more common for uh, for games to ship in their own cab, and then it would, the whole cab would be themed for that game. So all all the art on the side permanently attached, you know, the marquee on top and everything. Yeah. Uh, but in other countries where there wasn't as much space as the United States, like in Europe and in, uh, in Japan, et cetera, uh, companies would release sort of multi-use cabs. So like Sega released a line of cabs and Taito released a line of cabs. Um, and they say Taito on them, but they don't have like a game label or anything. There's usually a marquee holder on the top. Yeah. That way, as you're walking by, you can tell what game is in it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and they... And now, and now I, whenever I see what I call uprights, because that was the first games, those are the only ones I played. Like right. we didn't, we had, we didn't, we didn't have, uh, we never got into uh, video games in my house when I was a child, right? The only thing mm-hmm. I believe that would have been available would have been like an Atari kind of situation. Um, or and remember it was a, the first computer game, which was Adventure. I remember playing these games at other people's homes. It was exciting. But then... Uh- Literally, my square tattoo on my arm is because Adventure is my favorite video game. Oh, that is awesome! It's uh, I'm I might need a a, a picture of that for the slug. Oh, absolutely! Uh, for, for the <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, so uh, the um, so it was great. But then when I went to college, essentially, it was for the first time in my life I had more money. Then, because uh, I got Pell Grants, I got loans. I had never had this much money in my entire life. And I spent the first four or five weeks, I think it was, I spent 
75 bucks a week on video games until I met a guy who had to drop out of college because he had spent all of his money on video games, at which point I decided to um, make friends with the guy who was the manager at Spaceport. And then he would occasionally give me free games. So it uh, it went down. It made it much more realistic. So do sure. you have... Um, so do you have games? What are the, like, I the first games that I played were at the bowling alley when I was like 16. So it was mm-hmm. Galaga. It was, it was Donkey Kong. It was, um, uh, Pac-Man, Frogger. Right. Your Pac-Mans, your Froggers, your Ms. Pac-Man. Ms. Pac-Man yeah. is so much better. So than, much better. So much better. Just, just better puzzles. Uh, yeah. and more story. And faster. A lot faster. Yeah. And but Gorf, did you ever play Gorf? I have played Gorf. That's a weird one. It is. It is not very good. Uh, it had a lot of potential because it was essentially five games in one. And mm-hmm. um, but each one was mediocre. It was uh, it was poorly done five times in a row. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you ever play um, the there were two Tron arcade games. There was Discs of Tron and then there was just Tron. I played just Tron. I tried to play Discs of Tron. It was not my jam. Not mine either, but regular Tron. I'm all about that one. And that's a similar thing where it's four different games. Right. Um, there's like the tank one and, you know, there's there's a bunch of them and it's great. Right. There was a tank game, I remember, where you actually had to move and, yeah, it would fall down and you would put your mm-hmm. face up to it like it was goggles. That can't be healthy. And then... Um, <laughs> And then, <laughs> and then it had those two levers, like an actual tank, where you got to, where you're literally, you had to think spatially. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and know that the, uh, if you go one way, you'll turn and back up, and go, and if you turn, go the other way, you'll go forward and turn the other way. So we're doing a lot of hand motions. This is a podcast. Um, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> which, uh, and then you know, and then there's your classics, your joust. And mm-hmm. um, I loved me some Joust. So I like Joust Paperboy. is the first one we've said, uh, aside from Gorf, uh, that I don't have. Paperboy also I don't have because the controls for that are complicated <laughs> and would be difficult without a dedicated cab. Right, because you're using. Are you using the same? Um, so you have you you have to essentially get get a game that can that can be repurposed in in a cab, right? Is that what it is? Yeah. Is it- so the majority of the games that I have are played with like a joystick and buttons, you know, standard okay. arcade controls. Sure. Uh, and then I've also got some games that work with a spinner. So I've got uh, the uh, the Sega arcade cabs have replaceable control panels. Okay. So I've got a spinner panel that goes in there and then it just like connects in and that way I can hook up the spinners to the games that use spinners. Uh, is the spinner, or, or, is that what you're calling the ball? That uh, uh, that you push so, or no? No, that's a trackball. Trackball, um, you're right. A, a spinner <laughs> is like what you use to play asteroids. Okay, okay. Oh yeah. Oh man, I was terrible at asteroids because it's such a it's a real sensitive set of. Uh, mm-hmm. Are you yeah, pretty the, good at it? Or? The vector physics are crazy in that game. I am terrible at it, but it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a, if you're willing to commit, I mean, that's that's what it is with video games is if you have um, and, and every time I've tried to use a new system, you know, it's it's a 14 hour learning curve of how to use the the controller and the joystick and sort of get mm-hmm. the vibe for the 
it's it's almost a mu- muscle memory that has to be created and can only be created by iteration, you know, uh, yeah. which is unfortunate, um, which is why when when one game would go to the next game, you're like, well, it better have the same. Like, I was always a Mortal Kombat player and not a, um, a Street Fighter. Same. Right, because it was six-button configuration versus five-button configuration. Do you have any of the boxes that are that have that have a the five or six button or is it just one button one joystick so i've got uh i've got a panel with three buttons which is the official JAMA standard which is a like a, a oh, like loose... abc yeah abc okay yeah Go uh, for it. and that was a like a rough standard that was that people mostly stuck to uh that came about in the 80s until uh until that connector got deprecated in the nineties. Um, and then I've also got, uh, I've got six button panels, like for playing street fighter or, you know, other fighting games like that. And then I've also got a panel that has the cross five buttons. Ah, yep. It's uh, and so what, what are you, what's in there now? What, what, what are you, what kind of games, like how many cabs do you have and how many games are on each in each cab? So I've got two cabs right now, and okay. one I've got, uh, it's a Neo Geo cab, so it's got four games in it. Um, so I've got Puzzle Bobble, a bust a move in the United States. Sure. Um, I, then I've got a Bomberman game that was released for that. I've got Twinkle Star Sprites, which is, uh, it's a crazy game. I don't know uh, that It is a vertical shooter that you play versus another character sort of like the verses in bust a move where like you'd get a combo and you send stuff to the other side yeah but it's a vertical shooter (laughs) so like enemies will come down from the top of the screen and you like you can cause a chain reaction of explosions among those and then that'll send stuff over to the other side right right awesome and um... uh and then i've got uh I've got Neo Turf Masters, which is a really silly golf game. Oh, fun. Yeah. Uh, the sports games are always interesting in the in the old uprights anyway. You know, there was track and field, which mm-hmm. um, just had two buttons, and you yep. had to beat the shit out of them. Uh, but you could. You could really. You it could. Was, it was athletic. And then, uh, and then I, I really liked, there was a skateboarding game called 360. And, um, yeah that I was really good at and I thought it translated to real skateboarding and I broke my wrist. It wasn't great, Aww. but, uh, it was, it looked good in the moment. I bet my niece and nephew said it was pretty funny. So, um, but they, uh, but the, um, yeah, but I liked, um, there, there was a, there was a one, I believe it was just uh, a one button shoot for the fire and then a joystick. And mm-hmm. it was, um, and I've seen it since in sort of the, the cabs that'll have a bunch of games in them. And it's called Zaxxon. Did you ever get to play that one? Yeah. I, uh, Zaxxon was one of the first games that I played on the Atari 2600. Okay. Cause in, in the upright and, and in the 2600, the depth perception, cause the art was a little wonky. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it was isometric, ha- so it was a little weird. Yes, you had to because me- they were tr- going for a three D vibe, but you had to kind of memorize where to go instead of actually eyeball where to go. 
Um, It was kind of an interesting... um, Some of those old games um, were so fun. Like Dig Dug had this... Not Dig Dug. um, Qbert had that same sort of illusion uh, illusion that would... And you'd end up jumping off the edge of the game board. Constantly. Yeah. And (laughs) so... And then how about Dragon's Lair? Speaking of laser discs, did you... The first... I love that game. Um, I actually have the I have a laserdisc from one of the original arcade machines, and uh, I for a while I had a motherboard too. But trying to get all of the things to hook up to it was more than I was willing to put into it. Yeah. So um, I just play with an emulator, but on the original laserdisc in a laserdisc player. That's one of the reasons why I have another laserdisc player is I have one that is compatible with the commands that uh that that game sends that is awesome i freaking that was such a great game and i just there was you ever you ever fall in love because someone is really good at a video game i did anyway it was a different time (laughs) we've all been there we've all been there in 1983 his name was bob anyway he uh (laughs) He, he had memorized all of the different key, com- like all the, not key commands, because it was a joystick, but you mm-hmm. had to go tink, 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 and you had to do it in the right, uh, you, the timing had to be perfect. Yeah, it was, that was all it was. That game was about memorization and timing. That was it. How about, how about, uh, did you ever see a hologram uh, video game? It was a, a time travel hologram? Yeah, with, with the there, w- there was, um, I think it was just called time travel. Yes, that's yeah. Yeah, oddly um, enough. Yeah, I, there were two other games released on that platform, and I, for the life of me, cannot remember what they're called. No, me neither. Um, I, rem- I re- you, you know when you see a game, those were also or- laser discs. Oh, were they? Yeah, it makes sense because of how they, beautiful the graphics were. Yeah, they were laser discs of live action video being. Uh, projected up and they were basically using like tricks of different pieces of glass to make it look like the image was a hologram and like in 3d space right. but it was just an angled piece of glass and it was such a terrible game because it was horrible yeah they couldn't get the tech right uh to make to to be able to play it and and much like gorf where you're just like this should be the greatest game in the world you know, it's um, my husband makes uh, video games. And one of the first games he made that was an interactive, it was a driving game on the iPad. Mm-hmm. And for he made it for cars too, the 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 movie. And you would buy the car and you would get the app and you could just use uh, there was a uh, like a car. You could just use a cardboard thing like you didn't have to buy the, the cars, but you could collect the sure. cars. and. You would drive around and you would go get gas or you would hang out with Mater or you would do do these things. And it looked so cool and kids really loved it. But he was telling me one time about how there was a a game that came out about a year after that one put out by Hot mm-hmm. Wheels. And Hot Wheels um, did did several things that Disney had not done that made the game so much better. But even them... They didn't have the interaction that was needed. But the Hot Wheels game, first of all, the car that it came with, the wheels actually moved. So, like, Oh, that's cool. So you could use it as a car. You could use it as a toy. The other one, the the, the wheels were stationary because it was just a thing that, that touched the, the iPad screen. And right. the the Hot Wheel car, the, 
the wheels retracted and then you touched the iPad screen and it was fine. So, but it was, you know, the, the tech on this stuff, the learning curve is so interesting. Um, I've run out of things to say about that, but I was very excited <laughs> about it. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> What's your other favorite? Uh, what, what, what else you got sitting around that house? I wonder. <laughs> um, well, we only covered my first arcade cab. The... Oh, right. <laughs> Please. Uh, the other arcade cab right now has Dangan Fever Run. I don't know that one. Uh, it is a Japanese vertical shooter uh, where I have the, the screen oriented vertically. Um, and it's disco themed. What? And yeah, so you're like, you're fighting against someone who hates disco. And every time you blow up an enemy, like little disco guys come falling out. And you got to collect all the disco guys. <laughs> What's it called? Dangan Feveron. Dangan Feveron. Okay. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, you can buy what? it on PS4 if you live in Japan. And what is the button configuration on that? What's the joystick? How do uh, you... It's a joystick and two buttons. And so two you buttons. have, um, well, optionally th a third button. Um, so you have single fire, special, like bomb, and then uh, auto fire as the okay. third button. Wow. Do you have to save up to use auto fire? Or does uh, it, is it just, you can just no, use it? No, it's just, you can just use it, but it doesn't build up your special as much as just firing regularly. Fair enough. What else you got on that one? Um, that one right now is a, a single game cab, but I, I've got, uh, I was actually playing Donkey Kong in that last week. Okay. Um, I've got Pac-Man. Do you I've have got to Frogger. Do you have to physically swap out the, the hardware? Yeah. So the, each game is depending on which game is a, a pretty large PCB, uh, printed circuit board. Thank you. Um, so I would say like Pac-Man is probably the biggest. It's a good like foot and a half by a foot. Right. Um, and then uh, like Donkey Kong is also pretty big. It's about uh, it's 18 inches by about eight inches, but it's two PCBs stacked on top of one another. Right. Um, and then like Frogger gets pretty small. That's only about like 12 by seven or so. And do you have to secure it with like, like screws and nuts and bolts and stuff? Do you have to actually, or does it place and just stay there pretty good, pretty well? Uh, because I'm not an operator, it'll, I can place it and it's fine. Uh, yeah. If I were running an arcade, I would want to secure the board in. And then, right. so there's uh, in every, uh, well, for American cabs, they're all made of wood. So you just screw right into them. Um, and then for the Japanese cabs, they're usually made out of metal or fiberglass or some combination thereof. Huh. Uh, so in the bottom, there would be a, uh, a piece of MDF that you can screw the boards into. Okay. Yeah. Cause at an arcade, there's a lot of shaking, there's hitting, there's rage. Yeah. And then, you know, the, it, the machine's going to have something wrong with it. You're going to take it into the back. You're going to throw it on a dolly. Things are going to be rattling around. You don't want your board rattling around inside. Fair enough, because they are literally just computer boards, right? Motherboards, yeah, of a sort. Yeah, yeah. it's it's effectively a like a lot of them, even uh, like from the late '80s, early '90s, had a sixty-eight thousand processor, the same kind that Apple computers had at the time. Oh, okay, wow. 
<laughs> that is awesome. So, is there is there something that you want, like in in video game land or or laser disc land that you don't that you're on the lookout for? I'm trying to keep an eye out for a reasonably priced initial decab. What's that? Uh, that is a racing game made by Sega that uh, that they did the full like cross everything. It was an anime. It was a manga. It was you know all the things. Wow. Um, and I, I just something about Sega racing physics really does it for me. And so <laughs> I. And uh, if you have one of those cabs, then you can play pretty much any Initial D game. And at this point, there are nine. The last one just came out like two, three years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, they've, and they've been releasing since 2002, I think. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I mean, at, at a certain point, does it... Uh, does it... Are you... Do you make a lateral move to a different technology? Does it does it expand on itself? You're like, oh, you hit you hit a wall, and then you learn about something. And you're like, oh, I got to go in that rabbit hole and start grabbing those items. Totally, that happens a lot. What? Um, um, yeah, what's led to what? Um, I mean, in general, the, the arcade hobby has led to a lot of extra stuff. I've got, um, <laughs> I've got a full set of steering controls that were pulled from an arcade cab that I can just like put on a table and play arcade racing games at home. Little pole position. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or like crazy taxi or, sure. um, I yeah. liked, I liked crazy taxi. That crazy was taxi's real... fun. You ever play Hydro Without having Thunder? The, like, yeah. Oh. oh yeah. Hydro Thunder was a lot of fun too. Yeah, really well done. And H2 Overdrive, uh, which is the sequel, uh, mm -hmm. well, well played, well played. Uh, and anybody who's still making upright video games, uh, I, hats off to them, quite honestly. It's um, some of the, the, there was a sniper one that came out a couple of years ago, probably 10 or 15 years ago now, but uh, it gave uh, me vertigo. And something silhouette. I'm trying yes, to remember the name. That was it. It was like Sniper Silhouette or, or yeah, it was like that. It was Silhouette. And yeah. I remember looking through the scope going, this is actually way too, it felt realistic. It felt too, like I I was having it, vision issues with, with it. it mor morality didn't bother me. I was playing a video game. Uh, I sure. knew the difference between reality and, and fiction. So <laughs> Yeah, but it's like, it even the same way that if you're looking down a real scope, if you're off center, it like cuts off the image a little bit. Yeah. 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 And you, ha you have to do the, like the weird, uh, like use both eyes, but not in yes. order to be able to. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it's remarkably like actually firing a rifle. Right. It felt it, it had, um, and then time crisis had kind of a fake recoil that always made me laugh. Uh, though the, and, and, but it all it too was either in a pink or yellow gun or whatever, and then yeah. you would reload with a foot pedal. Uh, but uh, but I did I admired the fact that they that they made it look like there was a recoil, and you're like I need that that uh, totally yeah yeah the 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 gun con with recoil is is the best yeah because um, there were I think yeah I think that those are the my. My uh, the t the Time Crisis series and the Hydro Thunder series are probably the last two. 
Though House of the Dead wasn't bad. Did you ever play that? I really zombie enjoyed shooter? House of the Dead. Yeah. yeah, that was a. Um, I wish I could have the first one at home, but the the way the light sensors work for those guns is bonkers. How, why is that? What is it? How is it different from? Oh, from any of the guns, or just just the House yeah, of the Dead? Yeah, specifically one? House of the Dead one was just different from everybody else. And then uh, once you started getting into LCD cabs for like uh, House of the Dead three and four, right? Uh, then the gun technology gets even more complicated, and they're like these complex light arrays that go around the whole screen, mm-hmm. and the gun reads in these complex light arrays that are that are if you don't wire them up correctly, can damage each other. Wow. Yeah, I believe uh, the, the the how complex they and how great they look that makes so much sense. You know, um, I, we got a PS4 uh, about six months ago, or no, would have been over. Yeah, would have been a year ago. And uh, the uh, and I've since played. I've only tried to play the Spider-Man game, mm-hmm. and just because it's a good I, one, it is a good one. I I myself have a hard time having video games around the house because once I start, it is, it's a clock eater, man. All of a sudden I have not achieved anything except for leveling up. So, uh, but it doesn't, I was like, so if I don't turn the PS4 on, then I don't play the new God of war and then I don't have to do it. Right. Except for the fact that on my phone, I have a little game called Marvel Puzzle Quest, which is just a match three superhero fight fight game versus and um, easily five or six hours a day. Uh, There's nothing. There's there's a no win there. No, there's no escape. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't matter. I might as well play the one that cost, you know, twenty three thousand dollars to make. But uh, yeah, why not? Oh, well, Um, or I, I actually that that feels like I just lowballed that game. So, um all right, well we're we're right. getting close to an hour here. We have we've barely touched on anything but laser discs and your video games. What else is in the garage? Should I know about? Um well, there's a pinball machine. Um Which one? there is a I, I've got an attack from Mars. Oh, wow. That's it is a- my absolute favorite game. Uh, and Chicago Gaming recently has been remaking older pinball machines mm-hmm. with modern uh, electronics driving them. So it's just a beagle bone black inside of a pinball cab driving the whole thing, which I think is really f- uh, it. Which is a competitor for the Raspberry Pi. Okay, those are all words. Uh, let's unpack it. Let's unpack it. Uh, <laughs> Attack from Mars. Was it? Um, what year is the original on that one? Nineteen ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. So. It is, it's ramps and, um, but it has an interface, right? It has a, the board, which, yeah, uh, so which is more digital. Yeah. It's got a, a digital matrix display, which, um, is basically just like a grid of LEDs. So yeah. super low resolution. Um, but you know, it was enough to display pictures of aliens and, you know, there's a, a mode where you like use a tractor beam and you see like how getting picked up in a tractor beam and, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it, it's got uh, it's got a UFO in the center that you have to hit a bunch and it shakes every time you hit it. Awesome. And there's a there's a bunch of aliens all over the play fields that when you get a certain multi ball, they all start shaking. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is so cool. Is there um, is there I, I've seen on some of the the and newer is so 
not what I mean, but newer, they have stories that are worked into those LED, even with those that, that small amount of graphic. Is there a little scene that works out on Attack from Mars that plays out? Um, I Not not tremendously. It's basically just Mars is attacking. You're trying to save five different cities. Okay. So you progress. Uh, usually arcades have it set to a random order of the cities. So that, that way people who are playing can get the different voices because it's very funny, all of their reactions. Like right. Horrible accents that I won't try to replicate because they're enough. offensive, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they're very sensitive. Uh <laughs> um, but uh, but then you get to the end, and uh, if you save all of the cities, then you go to Mars, and then you defeat the Martians on Mars. Oh, the boss! That is yeah. oh, that's fantastic. That you know, because some of the thing about pinball machines can sometimes just feel like a button masher. You know, you're just like I I don't feel like I'm I I have any aim or any sort of direction. You're just trying to keep the ball in play as as much. So. So a, a pinball machine has to be so, I think, uh, incredibly well written so that you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And um, and sometimes they aren't they're they're it's sort of like a textbook where you're like, well, now I have to figure out what the point and purpose of this game is so that I can play it. So not correctly, but correctly. Right? Sure. Yeah, yeah uh, Twilight Zone is like that, where there there are not a whole lot of visual cues as to what you should be doing at any given time. Yes! But if you know how to play the game, it's incredibly complex. Like right! Insanely complex rule set, but almost no visual cues for what you should be doing. Yeah, so, it, 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 I mean, there's... I did... There is an episode of The Dork for us, probably three or four years ago now, where it was a pinball dork he was on, and he completely was into pinball games, but he decided that he only wanted to tell me one path to victory on a Lord of the Rings game. And he also told me that in my neighborhood, and I did not know this at the time, um, there is a Korean restaurant that has like 20 Oh, you're Darius Gogee. Yeah. Well, um, I love that place. Yeah, it's over on Van Nuys Boulevard in in yeah. in yeah, okay. So uh he was like there is an app that shows you pinball machine places and um and he was like they have that Lord of the Rings game there and I went and it must have been being like fixed or cleaned or something because they did not have it and I had the food uh, and it was just okay. So I have not been back. Yeah. Uh but I do want to try that Lord of the Rings game and he did just the walkthrough of the one way that you could he said there were many ways that you could get to Mordor. Uh and I was like, wow, you don't just walk into Mordor. Um so I had to say that. You uh, had to. It was a requirement. <laughs> exactly. Uh Dominic uh, we're at, like, I, I just want to tell people, because the thing is, is you don't really have an online, uh, you're not really doing it. You're, you're not on Twitter, you're not, uh, and, and you don't, you're not plugging anything. So what this has been, is been a discussion with someone who knows some stuff. And uh, I thoroughly have enjoyed this. Dominic uh, Ferrantelli, uh, he has dorked out. Uh, and it has been uh, an exciting, really cool this has been great. I mean, quite honestly, you explaining cathode rays to me is got to be my favorite part of this uh, entire thing. And then us reminiscing about old-timey video games. But I'd love to have you back on if you want to talk about two other parts of... <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, we could we could talk about plasma displays. We could talk about CEDs. We didn't even get there. 
What's Capacitive a electronic discs. What is that? Uh, do we have time to cover one more thing? One more thing. Let's do okay. a teaser. <laughs> so, uh, so MCA, the Music Corporation of America, and Pioneer are the two were the two companies that were behind Laserdisc. Okay. And then a competitor that launched about a year before was the CED, or the Capacitive Electronic Disc, released by RCA. Okay. And theirs was actually a video record. How is that? So there were there were these you know record sized things that came in these giant plastic cartridges, and you'd put the because you couldn't touch them otherwise they would get messed up. Oh. So you'd put the cartridge into the player and pull the exterior of the cartridge out, and the disc would stay in the player. Okay. And then it had it had grooves in it like a record. And it had instead of a, a needle point like a record, it had a like bell hook shape, and there were two sets of grooves on the disc, and current would be applied through that loop through that uh, that needle, right. and it would generate capacitance in between those two separate grooves, and that capacitance made a radio frequency that then carried the video and audio from the disc. What? And so how many of those do you have? Or how many of those are there? Uh, that only stayed on the market for like eight years. So that one didn't do as well. Uh, video degraded pretty hard. I used to have oh, a player it? and about 10 movies. Uh, but I noticed like once they start getting bad, it, it gets much worse every play. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, OK, well, now... I can't watch them, so why do I own this if I can't right. use it? <laughs> right. I might as well just frame it. Make a diorama of the things you most admire. Uh, wow, that is kind of fascinating. What movies did you have? What movies did you get to see in that format? I saw The Wizard of Oz. Okay. I saw Escape from New York. Okay. Uh, wow. I saw um, this weird... German mixed animation live action film Dunderklumpen, I believe okay. it was called. <laughs> okay. So um, yeah, it was just like a, a few movies that across the board happen to be there. Yeah, and that they just were like, well, we're going to put these out. Yeah, Intr why not? That uh, that is an excellent button on the show. Uh, that thank you so much, uh, Dominic Ferrantelli. You guys, uh, we learned things. We shared some things. We talked to each other from far away. Uh, thank you so much for doing the show. Of course. And maybe one day I can be on when we don't have to be so far away. That'd be great. Uh, I would love that because uh, you're even far away from the camera. So uh, <laughs> I will say this. Rangers, you know the rules out there. Take care of each other. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat. <laughs> my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh, my God. Thank we you. Why don't we just call that as the end of the show?